0: But I can't do Uncle Ruckus, Pastor, like, oh, you know, we're all going to hold hands and whatever. And it's just right. white supremacy, white supremacy, whiteness. You know, it's, it's John Piper or oh. whoever else in blackface. Like I, like, I just I just can't I just can't do that. Um, see, I'm trying really hard not to give up on on church, like on being in church and going to church. But like, I'm also like, you know what? And sometimes i'm like you know forget it i'm just gonna become like something and just and just go
1: this week i get to have a conversation with the amazing and wonderful ali henny come on y'all profane faith is in full effect
0: Jesus uttered these words 2,000 years ago.
1: How are they gonna beat ISIS? I don't think it's gonna happen. But but he has these bizarre ideas about what Christianity
0: stands for and what it means. Atomic bombs and the second coming of Jesus Christ.
1: And when he does, you will no longer be a homosexual, but you will be a heterosexual. And that's what it means to be white. To say that you're standing on your own ground and standing on somebody else's and then mystify the whole process this is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find god. We won't be trying to answer difficult questions, rather we'll be engaging them and asking better ones regarding faith, race, gender, and religion. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. Hey folks, how's it going? Here we go, another week, another podcast episode. It's your host, the host with the most, uh, your boy Daniel White Hodge. Here we go. Profane faith. Well, welcome back for another week, y'all. Um, wow, more crazy ass shit happening in the world, right? Have you gotten your dose of uh, Lysol and uh, Clorox? Uh, you know, it's uh, you know the president's now saying we should inject ourselves right uh with with that clean ourselves out you no know, clean clean our lungs out and i know that's always a uh, a good thing right to uh clean our lungs out with lysol uh it's specifically what it was made for right <laughs> oh my goodness um are you feeling it yet <laughs> are you are you taking it in yet oh my goodness I tell you, um, just when you think you couldn't get any more bat shit crazier, uh, more bats show up and more shit just starts, uh, piling on and here we are, right, um, oh my gosh, late April in the year 2020, um, it's always difficult to, uh, to think, you know, um, wow, here we are, you know uh, our, our shut-in orders, I don't know where you're at Hopefully you are safe Hopefully you don't have too much stuff going on that's that's uh, nasty or crazy um, But our shut-in order uh, just got extended to May 30th So we, um, yeah, we are, um, yeah, we're thinking like this What's, what's this going to mean? I, a couple of things came up this week and uh, that were interesting for me um one, uh there was an article that came out in uh let's see Inside Higher Ed that talked about different scenarios uh for, you know, what what would happen. And uh, you know, one of the scenarios of course was you know everything goes back to normal, but I don't that's you know, most people are like, I don't think that's gonna be happening. And you know, you can take scenarios with a grain of salt, right? Because oftentimes scenarios sometimes can be uh, you know, it can be misleading. They can, they can get it wrong. You know, no one knows the future. Uh, this is a novel virus. This is not something, anything we've seen. In, you know, but I think about my field in higher education uh, and what that would mean for, um, you know, moving forward. Uh, a colleague of mine is um, getting a new job and he just got noticed today, as a matter of fact, that uh, his uh, as he's going into his new job, his salary will be reduced. And what they agreed on in the original contract that he uh, signed up for. And, um, you know, it sounds like that's starting to come down across the board. Um, I know a lot of people, right? We're hitting, you know, almost damn near 10%. Um, Unemployment. Some people have said, you know, it can get as bad as 39%. I've seen some numbers at 29, 18%. uh, You know, by the time this thing is all over, uh, you know, it's hard to say, right? I mean, we're definitely back up at those crazy-ass numbers we were a decade ago, and. You know, uh, it, it re- these things reveal a lot, right? It reveals um, exactly how we treat uh, minimum wage workers. Uh, you know, and these are things, by the way. If you've been paying attention, and I know most of y'all have. you my steady listeners on this podcast. Uh, y'all are y- y'all have been paying a, t- a lot of attention. Um, and this is stuff people have been saying for decades, right? Um, about, you know, socioeconomics, class, race, um, access to medical care, uh, uh, access to education, um, access to clean and healthy water, uh, and just in general, um, you know, your general health, right? I mean, when you think about the folks who are being affected by it, this so you know this virus reveals a lot of that the sad thing is is that you know it's almost I always wonder like theologically like what does it really mean to be human in the species that you know because it seems like we repeat our mistakes often right um we have a bible filled with uh, a lot of idiots that made mistakes right Uh, um you got um different examples of people that have done just you know crazy ass shit in the bible and yet A lot of those things have been repeated I brought up Aiken last week Um, You know, you think about David, right? David loved him some ass And so he's going to sell his boy out Put him on the front lines, right? Still a guy, you know, a guy after God's own heart, right? Uh, And then, you know, then you got the Psalms That are written by, you know, this brother Who's going off about dashing babies' heads Against rocks and shit, man So... You know, it gets me to think a little bit like, OK, what what the hell is really going on? <laughs> right. And those of us who've kind of pressed forward in some of this, you know, uh, in in terms of biblical archaeological research, I mean, it's 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 fair to say that, you know, a lot of the stories, not a lot, but a fair amount of stories in the, in the Bible, particularly prior to King David. Um You know, we're it's 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 difficult to make an archaeological case for them, Um, and uh, and you know that's probably an episode I should probably do at some point. Looking at you know Old Testament um, stories and narratives and using the patriarchs and matriarchs, Um, you know, and I think you know one of the flaws that I think that the Bible makes right is that there is no inclusion of women as writers, Um, and I think that's a pretty obvious thing there that you know we if we look at if the Bible were to be written now I think about you know who would be included in the canon in that, who would be included uh as writers. I would hope that we would be much more inclusive than who was represented just in terms of gender, uh, you know, in the Bible and whatnot. And it wasn't like women weren't writing. Uh there's plenty of evidence that women were writing, especially around Paul's time, right? Uh but they weren't included. And so um, it's interesting just to see that And how much People have built up False theologies Really like I said Booty ass Bullshit theologies um, Around verses That really don't Even Hardly exist um, in the Bible. I mean, of course, you know, the easiest one to pick at that is, of course, you know, people's theological precepts and misnomers around LGBTQ uh, folks, you know, that it's a sin. Um, that's probably one of the biggest, greatest errors, right? That's out there and stuff. And so I say all that to say, coming back to this COVID-19, right? We seem to have a Christianity built so much around money, individualism, uh, the self of self-autonomy. Um, it seems like we still want, and when I say we, I say Christianity, Christianity today, and I should be probably be more specific, uh, you know, evangelicalism in general still wants a singularized leader, and I think that's partly why Trump makes so much sense to a lot of people, um, you know. Uh, because there is that singularized leadership perspective in there, you know, and he's playing them, right? We see that, right? We see that, um, you know, folks, you know, it's just the stuff that he says, the stuff that he does, but he is saying things that have been at the tantamount of. Particularly conservative evangelical uh, uh, Priorities for a long time Right abortion Filling stacking the courts particularly the Supreme Court Um, God bless uh, y'all better be sending all the Prayers to to the Bader The Ginsburg right man I'm telling you Old Ruth boy I tell you what Man she she's looked like she's Been dying for a while man so I'm hoping she holds on but golly Can you imagine three um, uh, uh, Seats That he would put in there That, um, just, whoa, my gosh, that would, that would just be nonsense. So, um and you know i i don't think they should be elected to to life anyway but you know that's again a different conversation and no one really asked me so there you go um but again going back to this you know it's interesting just again to see you know people's perspectives on this and you know you have some people say oh we're going to make it through this and we're going to do it through it i'm sure we will i'm sure some of us will not everybody um you know we got a friend whose uh, grandfather is not doing well he probably he, he probably not even be might even be alive by the time this show goes to air Um um, and, you know, we see that, right? It's like we have hundreds of deaths every daily from COVID-19. And you have to ask, where is God in that? I mean, and I think these are great theological questions. If what we believe is, right, this God that saves and heals. And I think this is part of the digging into a better understanding of where faith fits in in a time of crisis. Hence, a theology of hopelessness or even just a theology of what, what may come, um, you know, I, yeah, I, I think that so much of Christianity has been built upon, right, the immediate, like, this is, you know, God will protect me, God will take care of us. I mean, again, that's more individualistic um, because it just doesn't hold water when something like this comes and people by the masses are dying off, Um you know, and, and, and the political gains, right, that you think about the Christian right uh, that has. And I think I forget, I don't even know where, I haven't even been paying attention in, you know, where Liberty University is at. I know they were at one point wanting to go back um, on, you know, on to classes. I think they did open up the university. I think some people were protesting that. Um, thank God I don't teach there. Um, you know, and then, then just the financial impact on small, private, you know, Christian universities, right? Because they are tuition bound. And, um, you know, that, that, that has a major impact, especially if 90% of your income comes from tuition and, you know, Lord knows that tuition has been high. And I think now we're, we're truly entering, we were entering this, 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 this marketplace in higher education where, um, you know, it was really a school's choice, right? Um, but now it really is the consumer. It's really is the the person deciding to go to school. It's like you can almost have your pick um, now. Granted, Yale and places in the Ivy Leagues and Duke and, and places like that, I can you know can still kind of hold out a little bit. But man, I'm telling you, small private Christian universities. It's like you know they. I, let's just keep it honest. They're gonna take everybody. It'd be hard for them to turn away somebody. Right. Because that's money. That's income. And and we're driven by money. Um, And it just seems that we keep again with that. We keep repeating some of the same mistakes. It's like people have been saying about a novel virus. They've been talking about this for years. They ran a scenario uh, just last year. Uh, Was it last year or the year before? Either so, It was very recently uh, that they ran a scenario and then the report came back and was like, You know, we're not prepared as a country Uh, Yet here we are, right? And you hear it every day I listen to the the governor today You know, governor uh, here in Illinois And, you know, he's talking about how we just don't have enough stuff And we don't have enough these masks And then, you know, the gowns and whatnot And, my gosh, um... Yeah, and it's and it is it's difficult to find hope uh, in in certain environments. There was a uh, uh, on the was it what what freeway is that? Is it the freeway? No, 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 no. Actually, it's going it's going down the the main uh, boulevard and and here in front of my house, North Boulevard. I'm heading uh, actually west on North Boulevard, and there's a big uh, brochure, not brochure, excuse me, um, billboard that says you know feeling stressed. Feeling anxious You know Jesus is the answer And I'm like Oh man I should throw something At that right Um, There's a church Literally two blocks Or maybe about four blocks From where I live Out the billboard Out in front of that church It says Jesus is the answer And I'm like Hold up Hold up And again This is the type of, again, this type of theology that has dominated. And for me, I think this is part of why a lot of people have walked away, because they've been given this kind of microwave dinner theology, right? That was supposed to fix things in two minutes or three minutes or less. And the shit didn't work, didn't taste good, right? Now we vomited it all up, and now we still got the same problems. And so people are looking at that and being like, man, if that's really what it is, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And people have much more access to information these days. And so we don't have to rely on somebody who went to seminary to interpret different things and stuff. And so, (sighs) <sighs> my gosh, it's it it's um, it, it makes it pretty, very messy you know, when we start thinking about some of these things. And I'm glad I'm not a pastor right now. I really am. I don't I, I wouldn't have the fortitude right now to be, oh, we're going to make it and come. I just I just wouldn't. I'm just not, I'm just not um in that space. i God bless the folks who are out there uh doing it and still preaching and still putting on things. I I thank God for that. Really, I do. Um, I think we need some of that. Um, I'm not sure what that's going to mean in the long run uh, You know Two years from now um, You know especially when you start thinking about The amount of wealth uh, and power Wrapped up in corporations and um, You know systems so You know we'll see I keep always just keep saying We'll see we'll see we'll see we'll see And uh that will remain the case, uh, as it as it will be the case. Um, I'm reminded of a book uh, of by Neil Postman. Um, some of you have might have read this book. Uh, it's called "Amusing Ourselves to Death," and uh, it's a really good book. I highly recommend it. Um, it's uh, it's a good read. It's a real short read, and uh, written back in 1985, though. Minus the pop cultural references, I would say Neil Postman was re- writing this book today. Um, in it, his essential thesis is that, um, essentially just that we have amused ourselves, um, you know, to death and that. As a as a result, we have you know we we've given ourselves over to tech. We've given ourselves over, um, we've given ourselves over to the belief of what is celebrityism, what is uh, entertainment weekly, uh, what is the notion of being somebody popular, right? And I mean, I think, and I'm trying to crack some of this code. What does it mean with influencers? What does it mean with yeah, uh, folks, you know, even the term influencer, what does that even mean? Because I honestly don't consider myself an influencer. If you're listening to this podcast, great. I'm glad. Maybe you're just here to hear Allie, our guest, or maybe you're skipping over all this, right? Because that's the technology, right? you don't even got to hear my rant. It's just, you can head right into the, you know, the show and stuff. But you know we've we've given ourselves to some of these things and i ask what is the ultimate impact not that we should do away with everything but what is our what is our critical ingestion of things? How do we critique the things that we actually uh, take in? You know, I think the book is is a work that aims to both explore complicated ideas and market itself to the general public. It, you know, the basic thesis of the book is that television has negative or really media has negatively affected the level of public discourse in contemporary America. And, and, and it considers media in a larger context to achieve that. I think, what Postman is trying to do, and particularly if you ever listen to him in any interviews, you know, he's trying to get us to essentially, you know, critically look at and, and say, if the news is coming to us and they're based off of ratings, OK, that's how they'll, those news, you know, those the news organizations, they make their money, their ratings. Does it behoove us then to ask why would they be presenting us something um, that is completely actually unbiased or at least as unbiased as possible if they are tied to money and ratings? For example, you think about... I remember you know, when the first Gulf War happened, and I remember all the the um the imagery that came out of CNN that came out of a lot of all the major news corporations had some graphic about the you know, the war in Iraq, the war, you know, in the Middle East, you know, and it was some you know explosion this as well you know all these things that are geared towards, right, getting your attention so that people can have viewership. People can have, you know, and that translate even now, followers. Right. If you have a lot of followers, you have a lot of people coming to you. People want to pay you money for that. And again, in and of itself, that's not a bad thing. But how have we allowed that now to just dominate everything? I mean, it's everywhere now. Right. And when you think about it, um, I do. I ask myself, have we given ourselves away uh, to to some of these entities? And I think about just even, you know, a large way the president was elected in 2016 was essentially muscling his way again same quote i said last week not by talking to the intellectual but by again going for emotion going for uh raw undercutted just blank statements they don't have to even be rooted in truth just blank statements uh and so neil talks about that not necessarily about trump per se But gets at the tactics behind that The rhetoric uh, How those things come to fruition And ultimately how we end up believing uh, Some of these things So just some stuff to think about Some light light reading. Uh, so if you ever get a chance to read his work, um, uh, yeah, I would recommend it. And even if you don't want to read, just again, as the beauty of today, right? You can go to YouTube, type in Neil Postman or, or amusing ourselves to death, and you'll pull up all kind of uh, videos. I, I love that C-SPAN has everything archived. You know, I'm kind of a nerd like that, and so um, I like going to C-SPAN because they got some old shit in there. Yeah, they got Cornell when he when he had like a little fade and everything. He wasn't even in the black suit. He was like in a regular. You know, four-button, three-button suit, right, with peak lapels, and uh, you know, he was all lined up and goatee and everything. And stuff, man. It's some crazy shit, right, uh, to see Cornell like not not in his uniform, right. Um, so yeah, it's it's just interesting to see that, and even that, right, like how we look branding, like how branding works. And how that gets us to recognize certain things. And that's one thing to sell shoes or ointment or soap, but how is that to actually market somebody, an actual person? What is the difference between a person in reality and, or a person on screen? Um, you know, there's plenty of movies of, you know, try to explore that. Like, Hey, you know, what is, what is the gray area that exists there? And, and, you know, and how do we differentiate between somebody who is real quote unquote, this reality, um, or are they just trying to sell us something and gain more followers? I don't know. It's some interesting stuff, right? Oh my goodness. Well, this week, y'all, um, as I've ranted you now on for about 20 minutes, uh, my great, uh, guest is Ali Henney. Allie uh, and I have been trying to work on uh, you know, coordinating the time for her to come on, and we finally lined it up. I was so thankful. She has an amazing voice uh, online, in person, and I love her writing, Since so I was like, I got to get you on the show. She was like, yes, let's do it, and we finally had a chance to sit down. Um, Allie is a writer. She's a speaker. She holds a BS in psychology from Missouri State University. She's currently finishing up a Master's of Divinity from Fuller Theological Seminary with an emphasis in race, culture identity and reconciliation. She hopes to pastor a church someday. Uh, She's been writing about race, identity, culture, and racial reconciliation on Twitter and her personal Facebook profile and her blog, The Armchair Commentary, since about 2014. She's a regular contributor uh, to uh, For the Witness, a black Christian collective, where she writes about black motherhood and other topics related to the black experience from a faith-based perspective. I'm telling y'all, this woman's bad. Uh, Allie has participated in several panels and facilitated discussions on America's race Issue and has conducted numerous Personal education and coaching sessions For individuals seeking to participate In racial uh, conciliation Um I've just appreciated her wit and her insight, um, and I was just thankful to have her on the show, um, because she's a great mind, and uh, we, yo, we went in, we went in, broke some stuff down, um, I'm sure you'll enjoy this conversation, and um, let's uh, let's continue to just, again, be critical about what we ingest and what we take in, I think it's important uh, to do that, and um, it's one of the reasons why I love the podcast medium, because we can, you know, uh, I can put some stuff out there, and, you know, uh, the audience is growing, but the the goal for me isn't the audience as, as much as it is the content and the people that I bring on and Allie is definitely one of those people and I'm excited she's going to be moving here to Chicago so I'm excited to have her here in the neighborhood so to speak and um, have her a little closer maybe hopefully once this thing is lifted we can do some stuff and partner together y'all stay safe stay away from the Lysol um, and Clorox um, don't ingest uh, any ammonia um, that'll kill you <laughs> regardless of what The uh, president, so-called president of the United States, says, be safe, y'all. Take care. Check out this conversation and enjoy it. Peace. All right, folks, well, welcome back to another episode of Profane Faith. As you know, we always have top notch guests on here. And I am excited to have Ali Henney on the show today. Ali, thank you for coming on.
0: Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate being have the opportunity to be
1: on here. Yeah, no, I've been wanting to for a while. I follow you on Twitter. Uh, and I was like, I got to get this woman on the show at some point. And so I, I just I'm, I'm excited to, to have you and finally get a chance just to, to, to talk things up. Um, well, for the viewers and whatnot, it, you know, if you wouldn't mind sharing, you know, what's what's been happening in your life from from birth to now?
0: Wow. So yeah, that's a, that's a really super like long, and that that was that could be like a mini series. Um, but let's yes. see. So. Uh, Like you said, my name is Allie. I am a native Missourian. I was born and pretty much raised um, in Missouri. There was a brief time that I lived in New Mexico uh, because my dad was Air Force. And so um, for most of my life, he was actually stationed in Missouri and then he was stationed in Arkansas. And so we kind of had a house, um, a house that we rented down in Arkansas. And so uh, my mom would drive back and forth and then he was stationed in Turkey for a while before the before the uh, Persian Gulf War, and then during the Persian Gulf War, and then after he got back from the war, we got stationed in New Mexico. So I okay. was there um, for about nine months, and then whenever my parents got divorced, we moved back to Missouri. So I had been uh, grew up in West Central Missouri, um, a little bit outside of uh, Kansas City. Uh, Kansas City is in Missouri. A lot of people think that Kansas City is in Kansas, and Kansas City is, I guess, in Kansas a little bit. There is a Kansas City, Kansas, but this is whole convoluted Missouri thing, but Missourians get very upset if you say like Kansas, whenever you're talking about Kansas city, because mm-hmm. Kansas city is in Missouri. So I grew up outside of, of Kansas city and, um, lived there for most of my life. And then I moved uh, to Southern Missouri okay. for college and I went to uh, college at Missouri state university. Okay. Uh, that's where I did where I did my undergrad. Is that Mizzou Go Bears, is that considered the- No, that is not Mizzou. Okay, I'm just right, getting right. ready to say that. All right, all it right, is all right. not Mizzou. Okay. And so, like, <laughs> <laughs> it, that is not Mizzou. Mizzou is the university of missouri got it uh, missouri state is is missouri state so we are the bears and not the tigers but got that's it. like there's like a whole bit of rivalry and uh, tension there over over the name and so it's like no it's not like, like, like I, gotta, I was about to i was about to like like knuckle up I was uh, like, yes like, like get, a, get in a gang fight here that's right that's on, right let me the know podcast. <laughs> but no but no i'm I'm proud to be proud to be a bear. So uh, I lived in, in um, Southwest Missouri for several years. And then in 2011, um, my husband and I packed up. We just decided we felt kind of called from God to, to move to Virginia. So we uh, lived in Virginia, a little bit outside of DC for about five years. Okay. And then we moved back to Missouri and, 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 Chicago. Now that's our, that's our next move. So I guess I should back up a little bit. You know, my life, I got married in 2005. Um, I was at at the ripe old age of 19 years old. Um, I was two weeks for my 20th birthday, but my husband and I, we got married very young. Um, we have had a wonderful time it's been it's been great it's not something that like i recommend to other people because i don't know if and, and like i say that not because like my life or like our married life has been fantastic like it's been it's been great we get along really really well um but i know a lot of folks that got married that young and even around the same time that we did and i don't know of any of the couples of any of like the, the five or six couples mm-hmm. that I knew who got married kind of, who are around the same age and got married at around the same time. I think that there's only like maybe one other couple that's been, that has been, um, that stayed married, that wow. the people that were, you know, 20, that were 19, 20, 18, 22 years old, like married that So it's not something that I, that I recommend, but it worked out for us. Uh, we have two daughters, um, who are my, my oldest just turned six. Uh, She turned, she turned six the week after Easter. And then my youngest, uh, turned three. Um, her birthday is inauguration day, like her literal birthday. Like she was literally born on inauguration day in 2017. Um, but that's, but her, but her birthday is, is on inauguration day. So we've kind of been, you know, here and there and back again and, and getting ready to start a new adventure, uh, living, um, on the South side of Chicago. And so we're, we're excited. We're excited about that, but that's kind of, I guess, I guess the other thing that I should add, I guess in there is I've been in ministry since Mm. 2003 and have served, um, served in youth ministry for most of that time. And then, um, Oh, gosh, probably the last few churches that I've served in, I've not done ministry, youth ministry, or have not done youth ministry as an exclusive thing. So youth ministry had been my thing. I thought that I would, that I would be a lifelong youth pastor, yeah. love teenagers, love whatever that was, yep. that was yep. my kind of career and <laughs> yep. vocational goal. Yes, A lot of folks don't treat the ministry that way. It's kind of a, a springboard to, mm-hmm. to be a, a senior pastor yep. or lead pastor or something like that. Um, that was not really where I was at that was not what I was wanting to do and God kind of had other plans and so I have um I say reluctantly I mean I guess as reluctant as you can be with something that you know that that God is calling you to do and you feel a passion and stuff for it but I have reluctantly not done youth ministry um for the last several years and um the, the, my last youth group i knew i'm like that that's probably going to be my last youth group and so I've, I've helped out with youth ministry um in like during my uh, seminary apprenticeship and everything i kind of helped a little bit with that but i've i've been a, an administrative pastor an associate pastor right now i, I don't carry any kind of title um, because i've changed denominations and so um you know looking to to get ordained in in a denomination so that's but that's kind of been a whole thing that's just that's like a whole other story a whole other whole other kind of journey but that's sort of me in a nutshell so a lot of kind of hodgepodge mishmash i've been here there and back again and going other places and doing other things and yeah that's just that's it
1: no i love it i love it i mean this this is good i mean you're right i mean i at one point thought too i was like i'm gonna be a youth pastor for the rest of my life i'm this is what i'm gonna be doing and i was in young life I'm, i'm young life for life and Oh Lord, uh, I'm nowhere near that now. Uh, um Well I've been dear the one tweet you have pinned to your uh I wanna kinda break into this this uh this a little bit and like how You've come to see race and theology and religion um, in this era now with the the new crisis, the newest crisis, I guess I should say, with COVID-19. But this tweet from uh, looks like June 29th, you say, y'all trust Trump. But need three doctoral dissertations, 18 sermons, an angelic visitation, kind words, 43 scriptures, the ghost of Harriet Tubman, four testimonies and an affidavit signed in blood in the blood of the slaves to believe black people when they say they are experiencing racism. Uh, can you uh, unpack some of that? How did you arrive at a point to uh, be talking about and engaging in, in some of this?
0: Wow. So really, it's like I, I tried with me it feels like a lot of like deep stuff like that like there's a there's a story behind it you know there's there's a a thing there's a reason I I just I I I guess that the way that I kind of live my life or interact with my life I don't know how I don't know why but I kind of I don't know like my life just kind of plays out like a story or something like that and so I guess for a little bit of of I guess everybody's life plays out like a story, but I tend to like really think in, in terms of in terms of story and plot and whatever. So that's just how I am, and I and, and I apologize for it, but don't at the same time. Mm. So as I mentioned before, you know, I grew up in, in West Central Missouri, and so I grew up in rural West Central Missouri. So I grew up in a in a small town um, that was predominantly white. Um, it was I, I did the math one time. Off of census data, kind of from the time that I lived there, and it was no greater, it it was it was no less than I think I'm saying that right. Ninety five percent white the whole time that I lived there, so it was so it fluctuated between being ninety five percent white and ninety seven percent white. So there was a black community in this town that I grew up in, and there were and in some of the surrounding towns, there there would be uh there there are small kind of black communities. So I think that that there were maybe like you know close to 200 black people maybe 300 black people I'm not sure maybe that just might be minorities in general I can't I can't remember right now but anyway we grew up, had a, had a black community, went to, went to a black church, black people because of segregation, the the legacy of segregation, rather. Um, there was a, there was a black park. There was a a part of town that a lot of the black people lived in. So, you know, there were, there were two different streets that a lot of us, um, lived on. And my grandma lived on one of those streets and, and my grandma helped raise me. So I was at my grandma's house all the time. And so, you know, we, we lived in this little kind of enclave of blackness, but then outside of that enclave of black was the rest of the world and so the rest of the world was white for me you know my school was white everything that I was involved in at any point there was besides besides church and things that were directly like for the black community there was white people there and um, a lot of times I was the only black uh, there's a there's a scene in the movie Philadelphia with um, Denzel Washington and, and Tom Hanks where Denzel's character talks about how he was the only black and he keeps on saying the only black, the only black, the only black. And I remember watching that movie as an adult and mm. feeling and really resonating with that scene where where, where Denzel's character is basically talking about you know, how how he, he was the only black and so he had, he felt all this pressure. To succeed and to excel and blah 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 blah, and so that was really where I was at. You know, I my mom, um, she is a professor at a university in in Missouri, and um, she teaches uh, communication disorders um, for most of my life. She was a she was a speech pathologist working in the schools and everything. Wow. So my mom, um, my mom was was able to break out of a out of a general generational. Cycle of poverty that had been in my family since slavery, and that is a whole other story. It's it's really it was just a miracle that there was a, that there was a high school counselor that recognized that she was smart. She graduated second in her high school class. He actually brought her type brought his typewriter to my mom's house in the projects there in our little town because our little town wow. had projects. Of course it did, because um, that was where they they tore down houses that. Black people lived in to build the projects to mm-hmm. put us all in. Um, so the the counselor brought the typewriter to his to her house in the projects and helped her apply for for college and helped her apply for scholarships and all this other type of stuff. So my mom was able to go to college, and so my mom b- broke a generational cycle of poverty. But even within that, um, a lot of my family at various points in my life was still was still in some of that that cycle of poverty and still in um, you know the the crack epidemic like hit my family in some ways like there was just it was just a lot that was going on in our little town at that at that time and so uh, somehow, you know, because I, I think because of, of some of the privilege that I had, because my mom was somebody that had a graduate level degree, she had, she had her master's degree um, at a time when to practice speech pathology, you didn't need a master's degree, okay. but she had a master's degree and was just there. And, and so I was able to to kind of stand on her shoulders a little bit and excel academically and to be in all these different spaces where it was, where it was white people only. And I became just really acutely aware. Uh, I, I grew up in my culture. I grew up you know, understanding race and, and how race was construed and, and all that other. Kind of, you know, this uh, it really is double consciousness. It's what, it's what uh, Du Bois talks about, this, this double consciousness of, of knowing that I'm a black person, but also being very much aware of what white people think of me. And growing up, in such that that is such an, impre- an, an oppressive environment whenever you are outnumbered, like literally 50 to 1 um in, in any context you're gonna you're you're the minority of the my mi- of the minority and you develop a lot of Kind of defense mechanisms or, yeah. or coping mechanisms, yeah. and and one of my things was because you know I I was your respectability politics. I was one of, I was one of the respectable blacks. You know, my 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 mom wasn't one of the ones that was that was strung out on crack. You know, my my members of my family weren't ones that were weren't, weren't they? They were professionals. You know, they I have I have nurses in my family. My mom was able, um, her, my mom was able to kind of she my, my aunts and stuff did this on their own, but she was able I think to, to kind of. Influence and inspire them um, to to become to become nurses and go to nursing school to 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 you know get their GEDs to do all these other different things and so we kind of came from like kind of one of the quote unquote good families okay. in, in town and so there was this so with that but but I say you know we were one of the good families but it it, it was just it was it was a it was a whole thing it was a, it was a whole kind of kind of mixed mixed bag of how people of how people perceive my family versus kind of where we came from and so. Um, and so we just, you know, it it was, it was very oppressive in the sense of being hyper aware of I am representing black people at all times in all spaces. And like the other, and so like some of the other people in my, in my community who were, who were greatly oppressed and greatly disadvantaged because of systemic racism, um, I I felt the weight of having to represent that and having to represent them and having to represent having to represent uh, give out positive images of blackness and not that my not that my friends not that my peers weren't doing that but because some of them weren't able to code switch yeah. you know weren't able weren't able to, to to code switch didn't didn't know to code switch um, I was I, I, I knew to code switch I knew how to code switch that was that was my way of life was was code switching and so I was afforded a lot of a lot of opportunities and stuff that other people didn't have and so I say all that to say to, to kind of you get to get to the question that I kind of always had this hyper awareness of my blackness and this hyper awareness of, of what, of what came with it. Like, I don't have a moment where it was just like, Oh, and then I realized I was black. It was like, I just always somehow knew that, 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 that what, what blackness was and what it, and what it came with. I mean, nigger was one of the first words that I learned that I learned how to read. And so mm. like, I, like, I just, this was something that, that was just, that's just always had been, had been in me. So then kind of in, in contrasting that with being kind of in some of these white contexts, um, you know, my, my high school sweetheart that I, that I married, um, is, is a white man. And, and so being in this space of, of being fully aware of my blackness, but still being in these spaces that are white, something that, you know, I talk about the, the code switching thing. One thing that I realized is I still like, I, you know, I code switched with my husband for a long time. I say for a long time, like in our relationship, we, have, we have dated like, I think, you know, two years of high school, but, but not very long after we married, I realized like, you know, I feel like really super uptight on this dude. I don't know why. And so I realized it's like, it's because I can't, I can't, I don't feel like I can express myself. And it yeah. wasn't anything that he was doing. It wasn't anything that he was saying. I mean, he, he understood we we had that conversation because I'm just kind of an intense person and I was kind of an intense kid, you know, an intense teenager, or whatever. So, you know, we had the conversation <laughs> of of me being a black woman. Um, uh, you know, at, at seventeen years old, like, you know, yes, you you are you were dating a black woman. Like that we we, we had this conversation. Uh-huh. Um so so he, he knew what he was in for. He knew what he what he signed up for. We've been having these conversations and stuff and he and he's you know he's he's a, a, a great guy and I was gonna say you know, especially like if you for a white dude, like like you know, sometimes like my dudes it's like, uh, you don't always get it like you, you always want to kind of default to that to that white privilege standpoint. And there's sometimes that I that you know, I've got to I've got to gather him and be like, okay, but you're like you are you are approaching this like a white man right <laughs> yes, now, yes. I, and got to, and got to got to collect him uh, sometimes. Uh-huh. But he's but but he is very like quick to realize. Oh, hold on a second, and, and it's very it's very rare that I have to come that I have to come with that. So it wasn't really anything that he was doing. It was just my natural inclination was comfortable got a way that the white man can understand, got to like, whatever. And so I realized like, I can't, I can't do that. (laughs) I can't do that. Like at home, like I am at home. This is my, this is my home. I'm in the most intimate, this this is the most intimate relationship that I could possibly have. Like, I've got to be able to be my full authentic self. So I just sat with my husband. I was like, look, like I have got to be able to talk the way that I talk and you've got to, and he's just like, okay. Like not really fully understanding. So there's, so there's been times where I've had to like you explore where I've said things and it's like, you know, so I have to say, okay, like, like I'm just going to express myself and I'll kind of, try to translate it for you and so over time he's learned he's learned the different words and stuff the different regionalisms and and colloquialisms and different even different things so, you know even like within a family you might have like a dialect and that's how black families are you know, we have we, <laughs> might, we have, might have like words that we just make up for something or, or kind of inside jokes that kind of become a way to communicate stuff because that's just how black people that's just that's just how we are so over time you know we've been married for maybe 15 years in june and we've been together um for about 18 Years, um, so over time, you know, he's he's definitely has has acclimated and has and has learned some of those some of those things, but I but I just you know, I say all that to 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 make the point that I've always been just hyper aware of my blackness and also hyper aware of how whiteness interact interacts with my blackness and how it affects my body in space and how mm. it affects how I how I live and the decisions that I make and the and the choices that i make uh so for instance you know i don't i don't go to the mall i mean i guess nobody's going to the mall right now uh with coronavirus but but before that like i i didn't go to the mall in my in, in where i live because i got tired of going to the mall and getting followed around i got tired of feeling mm. of feeling you know suspect and and suspicious whenever whenever i'm just you know trying to buy a bra or something you know <laughs> so like right. it's like it's like you know i'm not here to steal anything like i just i just like literally need underwear like it's uh, like it's going to be okay um, <laughs> Um, <laughs> right. But like, like it just so I so I've always been hyper aware of that. So then contrast that with then you know I grew up in the black church, but then um, you know ending up in some predominantly white or trying to be multi ethnic worship spaces, and that wasn't that that was just something that just kind of I won't you know, go too deep into that, not because I don't want to, but just for the sake of time, um, just kind of ended up in some, in some kind of white, predominantly white, or kind of trying to be wanting to be saying they are uh, multi-ethnic church spaces and becoming just very aware of even how white Christians behave toward black people. So, you know, mm-hmm. you think like, oh, you know, we're Christians, you know, we love, we, we say that we love God, but like some of these folks be racist as hell. And so it's like recognizing that. And so Ferguson, you know, was a was Trayvon Martin was like a okay, these people are like really cutting up. But then Ferguson, um, I think because because like I said, you know, I'm a native Missourian, and Ferguson happened in St. Louis, Missouri. So so a lot of Ferguson hit really close to home, and it hit really close to home for a lot of people that I know. Um, You know, I'm not. I know a lot of St. Louisians, but I'm not a St. Louisian know a lot of Saint Louisians, know a lot of people adjacent to Saint to Saint Louis. And so that that incident brought out a level of just like nastiness out of the white Christians that I knew. Like Ooh, people that it's like yes. that it's like you know, I was your kid's youth pastor. Your kid used to practically live at my house. I've been in your home. I, you know, I prayed your your child through to the, to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Like, you know, I was there when they got baptized. I was there whenever, whatever. And y'all are just being like super racist. It's right. like, it's like as if, you know, some people would claim me to be, you know, that like their black friend or whatever. People who probably <laughs> be like, oh yeah. Right. Oh yeah. You know, you know, oh yeah. She, she, my black friend. Like some of those people people whose homes I've been in it's like it didn't even matter like you know i remember like one of my best friends in high school like one of my one of my best guy friends in high school just like seeing stuff it is just like man it, it, it's it, like it's hurt like it's it's hurt to see just how people how people act and so where with racism, even though being hyper aware of it, you, I I always kind of try to kind of make, kind of play it into a joke or kind of try to play it into, into irony or kind of try to play it into all these other types of things, or even try to, even though I was hyper aware of it, like saying the things, but then like being like, oh my gosh, I've got to, I've got to like Cater to white people's comfort and try to make, because that, because like I said, whenever you grow up in oppressive in, in, in an in an oppressive environment like what I grew up in, one of the first things that you learn is just how to make the white man feel comfortable. It's like just truth. you yes. don't you don't don't start crying. Like you don't you don't want to make your white girlfriend cry because because she feels racist. you don't want to do that because then it's like a whole bunch of emotional labor and a bunch of other stuff on you like you just don't want to do that. you just and, and like I'm and I'm saying that like not that I actually you know feel like oh I need to cater to people's feelings now and stuff like that's not what I'm saying but but you gr- kind of grow up with this whole thing of like there because because you're because you're outnumbered and there's so much power and influence as a, as a kid, you're just sort of like, Oh well I, like I like I can't do this like I'm I'm doing something bad if so if I makes if I bring up race and somebody gets offended i'm the person who did that like they'll like they'll twist it to make it like i did something wrong and so i know that i just i i I think these thoughts but i know that i can't say them out loud because somebody will get mad at me and so like and then it'll become a whole thing and i'll get in trouble for it um so like whenever you you come up in that like you start you you think about you think that way and so as as an adult and thankfully i'm thankful that that, that God, and I really attribute it to, to God was able to, to kind of break down some of those things early for me. So, so very early in my twenties. So then whenever, so whenever Ferguson came around, I think I was like, you know, 29, um, whenever, whenever Ferguson happened, that whenever it got to that point, it was Mm -hmm. just like, you know what, like, I, like, I cannot cater to y'all's feelings like it just it just that like that was really a tipping point to me for me where it's like you know i i've tried to to kind of talk around race or i would bring up there would be times that i would bring up things like i would bring up you know like to my friends you know hey like I, like i'm getting followed around at the mall and people would always just like oh that's not what's happening or oh you know blah 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 and it's like but I know like what's happening or I would bring up like oh you know this that like you kind of said this thing and that's kind of something that you shouldn't say and it would be like oh my gosh you know fragility 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 and whenever Ferguson happened you know I I took kind of this posture at first of trying to educate white people and trying to help them to understand but I just realized like they don't care like yeah. that's that's horrible to say I think a lot of people you know, would be offended but like, not all white people but that's just but just at the end of the day white people don't care like you Mm. like like they like they don't like the ones who do care care because they have skin either a they have skin in the game so like people who like um people who and a lot of people who are married interracially like a lot of especially like white women married to black men they really don't care like just like that's like that's kind of weird but but they'll they'll only care insofar as you know like i'm a mama and it affects my kids but like then they but but then they they aren't raising their kids to like understand race or whatever and so it's just more of kind of like a get a, a get out of jail free card for racism for them um but a lot of people who like have skin in the game is like you know people who who have adopted transracially so it's like you know, it's their kid. They've had to walk through their family. You know, it's not like the, it's yeah. not a kid that they've given birth to. It's like a it's like a child that 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 they that they kind of in in some way kind of chose. And so then, or or whatever, or whatever the circumstances was. And so then they're kind of thrust in this whole thing. And so they have skin in the game. Or sometimes it's people that you know, people. There are, I believe that there are white people of good of good conscience, but like they've had to make themselves care about it they've had to they've had to work to be able to see it because white culture just makes it so easy for people just not to care and yeah. so like i just yeah. realized like i'm spending all my time you know, trying to trying to educate people who like they think that they're superior to me they might not ever say that out loud they might not ever like like make that and form that into an actual thought in their mind but like they think that they're superior to me. And so my experience doesn't mean anything to them. So me trying to sit here and trying to educate them about the differences of, of our cultures and blah, 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 Like that ain't doing crap. Like they don't care.
1: That's a, this is deep. I love this because, uh, I and I, I did not know you were married inter-ethnically. I, I am married inter-ethnically as well. So I, we have these conversations uh, quite often, especially with my wife's family members who, um, she has family members that you know that you know believe a um, societal uprising is coming, and so they have their guns and this and that and ready, and they oh, would Lord be Jesus. one of those folks now who are protesting the you know the coronavirus, the you know the stay at the stay at home shelter in home uh, law. Right, I saw that meme the other day that said you know black people, you know, getting killed on, you know, by the police. It's like, Hey, they should have followed the rules. And it's like, Oh, up, oh, Native Americans over oh, there getting sprayed by the, you know, the federal police. Oh, they should have followed the rules. But it's like, Hey, we as white mm, folks, mm, we don't follow the rules. You know, we ain't going to follow mm, the rules mm, mm, and we're going to show up armed well. to a, it, it, I, I, so, so this is the question I get all the time. And I really struggle because I've taught intercultural communication for, Oh gosh, damn near 18 years. And I struggle teaching that class. I cut a lot of my just undergraduate level courses in race, ethnicity and all that, just because mainly I'm just tired of of teaching, you know, the same old, same old things. And I don't really feel like what's I ask myself, what's the what's the change coming? So what what is how have you navigated some of these conversations when it comes to, you know, white folks who say what, you know, what can we do? What happens? What what can we do? What you know? What can a white person do? You know, in these spaces, and and I'm not seeking you so much. You're like, oh, give me a four step solution, but I'm just I'm wondering how you navigate some of those because I'm sure it comes up with you as well, right? It's like. yeah yeah
0: yes definitely something that I always say. You know, I probably I really appreciate uh, people who like can articulate. You know. Five steps, and can really, you know, like be really kind of cast a vision and blah blah blah. Like, I like I really respect that um, because I don't have the bandwidth at this point to to do that. Um, i have something i didn't include in in some of my telling about myself is i'm a seminary student right now i'm about to graduate hallelujah all right the lord yes lord, lord willing yes i will graduate uh in june but i just Ooh. really haven't had like between being you know a mom and and a seminary student whatever i just really haven't had the time to really sit down and be like oh you know what's like what's my vision for this and like you yeah, know my what's my vision for black people what's my vision for anti-racism i ain't had time to do that um i i'm so and i say that and i don't mean like to be facetious at all like i'm thankful for people who can like sit down and be like you know here's what i think and articulate you know a, a five-step plan and you know they have like a, a 10-year plan a 20-year plan a 50-year plan like mad props to that because i because i am not thinking like uh, like y'all like 75 levels above where i'm at for me it just is really really super simple white people need to collect their folk need to collect their folks mm. period like that, like for me, it just, it comes down to, like, like everything comes down to white people collecting their people. And, you know, I, I know that there's some that there are some kind of you know, praxis type things in with that. OK, well, what does that mean? Well, white people collecting their people. Well, white people don't really know. Like they, they have white people have to learn and have to be educated and blah, 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 blah. And I definitely agree with that. I think that white people need to need to sit at the feet of black and brown and indigenous folks. And they need to they need to listen they need to learn. They need to they need to read the books. They, they need to do their homework, and then take what they what they learn back to white people. But at the end of the day, something that attention that I kind of walk in is you know recognizing that that I have a platform that, that's growing and, and all this other type of stuff, and recognizing that that people something that I've that I've observed about white people, especially like white women, is what I call like the Oprah syndrome. So like that's one cool, of man. the things, one of the reasons why Oprah was so successful was because she she could speak to white women she did not yeah. like necessarily attempt like I don't think that that was necessarily what she was trying to do but that was like, who gravitated to, toward her now with that said I mean black people watched Oprah too I mean I watched Oprah like my, my mom my aunties my grandma watched Oprah every day Oprah came on at 4 o'clock on channel 9 and we watched Oprah every day I watched Oprah every day for, for years even whenever people you know were still working and still whatever like I would come home from school and watch Oprah so I mean yeah because I felt like there was there was something that was in that for me too even as, even as a young lady there was something that was in it for me too but white women just really really like clamored around oprah and still and still do in a lot of ways yeah and i think that it's not so much something that that oprah necessarily does um Except that in like kind of the, in the, in the talk show landscape, kind of at her time, she was kind of providing a space of how to make yourself better. Here are some things that you can do. So she was kind of like a magazine, but on TV. So, so, you know, white women, like they they read Cosmo and Allure and all this other type of stuff. And so she was doing that, but not as salacious, not as like, you know, here, here are like 50 sex tips that'll make him blow his stack or whatever. Like she wasn't necessarily in that bag. Bag, but she was in the super inspirational almost even kind of spiritual bag okay. of stuff and she really got like super spiritual there for a minute um but I talk about it, i was asked like and that and that just made my whole entire life but anyway um but like i kind of low-key want to be like oprah low-key but not <laughs> but not fully like oprah but anyway um but i think that just I, I, something that i've observed is that is that in racial justice circles, we kind of have like this Oprah syndrome. So where it's especially white women just just there's something about a, a powerful, self-assured black woman that 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 is leading and is and is giving them vision for themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that some of it is because is because whiteness and, and white culture strips them of of a sense of identity, of a sense of in- individual identity and so kind of and, and makes a lot of women speak I think especially even Christian women or people who um adhere to kind of traditional uh gender roles uh, or gen- gender roles and gender identities quote-unquote traditional stuff I think that 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 kind of strips them of their sense of of self sometimes and so because it says well you, you have to be this and you have to do this and you have to cook this way and you have to and you have to be this type of wife and you have to be this type of person that that for because black women don't fit into anybody's mold in that respect we kind of have to we, we kind of come out and and if we're and if we're and if we're out there and we're and we're loud enough and we're and we got a platform enough we kind of seem like unicorns to them a little bit and so it's like <laughs> oh you know, come here like like it's like, like, always you know, we kind Kind of become like like them it's like the magical negro trope too in a kind of way that it's like i need you to, sh- to help show me what's already inside of me and so i think that in racial justice circles like that that's a big thing is where white people white women especially look to black people especially black women and i and i think that it's important that they do but it kind of becomes like this 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 weird kind of exchange where it's like you know, tell me everything that there is. Oh, anti-racist guru, and like you know, you know, show me how to not be racist. And I'm just here, like, just don't be racist. Like that's <laughs> it. Like that's it. <laughs> like like that. Like that's like that's it. Like think about what you're doing. Think about who you are. Think about what 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 you're doing represents. And if there's something that doesn't seem right about it don't do it. And if it's something that, that elevates people that, 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 that's that's, that's good, that, that's, that's, that's positive, that's whatever, do that thing. So, you know, my, my whole thing is just collect your people. And like that, that's really, that's really, you know, all I can, all I can say is learn to do what's, learn what's right and then do it.
1: I like that. I mean, that's, that's good. It's pragmatic. I mean, that's, um, and it's, in it's, and it's a big thing, right? Cause it's like, I don't, I can't in my own, you know, wherewithal collect white people. Right. It's like, I'm not going to show up to the, to the steps of the, of city hall, wherever these folks are organizing and whatnot. And so I, yeah, I, I think that's, that's, that's good. What, and how have you just, how have you dealt with this, this virus stuff and the whole COVID-19 and, you know, we're starting to see numbers now of just, you know, the folks who were affected the most by this, right. It's like, you know, we're seeing, we're seeing, we're seeing, what a lot of us have known for a long time, right? The inequalities in healthcare, um, the, the you know how the virus attacks, you know, and goes after folks, and so you know those, of course, are you know folks, you know, who typically are black. And I mean, we see these numbers and stuff. And so, how have you navigated some of these conversations? What are your thoughts on this? I mean, uh, yeah. You
0: know, this virus has really been an exposer, and for me, it's kind of like it's like a big kind of I told you so moment for marginalized people. A lot of the stuff that we have been saying that we've been like, hey, disabled people, the disabled people have been like, hey, you know, this kind of sucks, our healthcare system sucks, the way that we do things sucks. I mean, people of color have been, especially black folks have been like, hey, we are dying out here disproportionately and for no good reason. And people just haven't believed us. And now like with this virus, it's like we are being, we are every single system everything that, that it has been just laid bare. I mean, like it just, the the problems with our economy, the problems with our healthcare system, problems with, with our education system, virtually every system that exists in our culture is, has been affected by this and has been laid bare. And some of the, some of the systemic inequalities are, are really, really, really super being exposed by it. And so I think that that's, that this is really kind of a, a critical moment, um, you know in our in our society and what's been really sad to watch is whiteness working i mean like you can Mm. just see how white and has further entrenched itself you know the the first week or so i say the first week or so this virus has been a thing i think at least since january like i i remember um seeing reports on different on different um outlets out of chicago because because it was at o'hare there were people who who had it at at o'hare and so that was so that was very early i have a family actually who live in china um, who live in shanghai and it was they were i knew about it and they and they was over there, and so some of them um, actually came back to the to the U.S. Um, because of what was happening over over there. I think not realizing that it was also going to come here and kind of you know shut stuff down. Um, but they but they were like, oh okay, well we're just gonna we're gonna come back uh, to to uh, to the states and from from China. And so this is something that we've that we've known about. My, my family members have had had to quarantine and, and everything, and it's something that that we definitely have known. About about for a while, but just, yeah, I say, whenever it kind of first started, whenever all this, like, oh man, we've got to lock down. We've got it like, the government, like, really started taking it seriously in about mid-March. And so, I mean, it, but it had been going on, you know, since like January, February. And something that we have, um, something that we've seen in that time, I think, is kind of in that first initial okay well we, we're gonna have to start shutting stuff down we're gonna have to stay home at first people were like okay cool we can do that but then as time has gone on and as white people have lost more of their sense of their rights or more of their sense <laughs> of their freedom right i mean it's it's like it's really hard for me to really like, like i i really can't empathize really at all with the people who are, oh, we're losing our liberties, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, y'all, this is like an emergency. This is totally different than this is this isn't this isn't people saying, you know, take your shoes off at the airport. I mean, this is like because because like one person made a bomb on their shoes. So now we all have to take our shoes off at the airport, all for, you know, we've been doing that for like a decade now. Um this is like something that's, that's like serious and, and not saying that, you know, bombs on airplanes and that type of thing aren't serious, but it's right. like, this isn't a, a, about an erosion of your liberties. This is like a virus that doesn't care. Like somebody with a bomb, somebody with guns, somebody with whatever, like that, those are, those are kind of individual things. Even if it's a group of people, you can kind of, you, you, can, you can control that. You can put measures and stuff in place. You can, you can do different things, but like a virus really doesn't care. Like a virus, like, I mean, you can't tell, you can't reason with a virus. You can't say, okay, virus, like, you know, don't make people sick. Or you can't say, well, well, you know, we're Americans. And the virus is going to be like, oh, okay, cool. You're Americans. Awesome. I guess I'm not going to get any of you guys sick. Like there's (laughs) like, you can't, you can't wave a gun at a virus. I mean, the virus is going to be like, Oh, okay. What's that? I'm just going to get on the gun and then I'm going to get you sick. Right. Like a virus, like it, it has, like it, like, it has no personality and it really just, it really doesn't care. And so I think that America, that white America is doing white America. Right now, and so it's like white America, in solving all of its problems, has waved a flag and has waved guns and has tried to to threaten and intimidate. and it's like you can't do that with the virus. it's just it's something that like you're, it's just gonna make people sick. and so it's, so it's really interesting how people feel like that they're losing their rights right now and I'm like, oh my gosh, you you can't go outside and just walk around willy-nilly like black people have been have not been doing that for a long time like it's like right. it's like everything right. that you that you're complaining about not being able to do a black person hasn't been able to do or like and if it's like whether that's like currently or even in history, it's like you can't just go over to somebody's house and be in somebody's neighborhood and whatever because because you'll be you'll get in trouble for it. well I mean like black people have lived that reality before people monitoring what you do in the store and and how you're behaving in the in the store well i mean black people like we've we, we live that whenever there's whenever there's not a pandemic and i say that and yes it's definitely heightened it's definitely wider spread it's definitely um maybe a little bit more austere in terms of how some of these things are being are being implemented but it's really what kills me is that i'm just like this is something that is for the common good, and so you're fighting for your right, basically, to go out and potentially get sick and potentially. And it's like, it's like, it's hard for me to even like form the words or form logic. Cause to me, it's just, it's like, it, it, cause I mean, I mean, you know how black people are. We're just like, oh, the conditions are dangerous. Okay. Well, we're going to stay home. Like right. we're not going to, you know, we're, oh, that like, that's like, like, but like, that's just, we're, we're just like, we're, we black people are, are risk averse in that type of respect. A lot of uh, collectively it's like, oh, is it going to be, so we're the people that somebody's running we're going to run not knowing why people are running but if somebody's running away from something we're also going if you see a bunch of people running you're also going to run because it's like who knows what's happening? Like apparently it's dangerous over there. And I don't, So, but, but white people will like go toward it. Black people are like, oh, there's a tornado. I mean, I will go and like look and see where the tornado is because sometimes like there's there's a tornado Cyrus is going off and it's like, there's not a tornado. Right. The tornado Cyrus or are just, are just like, there's not a tornado anywhere near me. It's just somewhere in the county. So like, I will go out and look. But for the most part, black people will be like, oh, there's a tornado. Okay, well, you know what? I'm gonna get in the basement. White people will be like, "Here, let me get out my camera and film this." And so, like, there's just like I think <laughs> that there's cultural differences in in approaching thing in, in approaching situations that are risky. And so, I don't mean to you know dichotomize it necessarily in that type of way. Because I mean, there are white people that are like, "Okay, you need to keep your behind at home." But white people, I think that 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 cl- as a collective, it's like, "Well, yeah, there's risk, but I'm willing, but but it's a risk that I'm willing to take." where I think that a lot of people from marginalized groups are like, yeah, there's a risk and like that risk could affect me, it could affect other people, but white people just think of themselves like as individuals. And so it's just like this, this like really kind of weird, it's just, it's, it's interesting to see how like rugged American individualism plays out because people want to go and get a haircut. And I'm just like, but what about the collective good? But, but people don't care about the collective good. It's like, well, I want to be able to do what I want to do. And so I can take precautions and I can do what I can do to stay safe. But it's like, but that's not how, but like, that's not how it works. And so it's like, you know, but I, and so Dr. Phil and Dr. Oz oh, said, man. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Or Dr. Drew Pinsky said, or whatever. Or, you know, like I've seen like chiropractors be on Facebook live. It's like, you're not an epidemiologist. I mean, even like general practitioners, like you're not an epidemiologist and we have, and, 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 you know, like, but, but then everybody wants to believe like conspiracy theories and all this other type of stuff. And I'm just like, right? how hard is it really to just stay at home? Like, and, and, but the economy, but the this, but the that, and I'm just like, how hard is it? to stay to stay at home and certainly we can use our imaginations to be able to come up with something that would allow ever, that would ensure everyone to be able to have a quality life, I mean, a quality of life. I mean, if our president is a stable genius, if he is somebody that, that, you know, he is, if he is so smart, if he is so whatever, then then why can't we just come up? Why can't we just use our, if he, if he's a businessman and he, and he could broker a deal, why can't Donald Trump just broker a deal with coronavirus and make it be a whole thing where we can, where we can, where we can stay at home and stay safe. Like, I, I, I don't know. I'm just, it it just like the lack of imagination and the lack of of consideration for other people is just there's just i guess there's so much more i can say about it but it's just it's it's really killing me right now because i'm just like i mean i guess it could really you end up killing us if people if people keep showing out but it's just it it has been it has just been so exhausting to see the arguments that people make and it's like social distancing is working and they said at the beginning you know social distance social distancing works if it works then it's gonna look like it was completely unnecessary and it's gonna look like we overreacted and then like sure enough that's what's happening and people are still like well you know I just, I don't believe that there there are people that just don't believe that we need to social distance or that, you know, it's not as bad or we should just let our immune systems work and like all this other stuff. And it's just, and it's so frustrating because, you know, they're they're definitely, I I want to respect that that there can be differences of opinions and that, you know, science isn't hard, cold fact and that scientists can definitely get things wrong. But I just keep wondering, you know, I I just see like, this is just proportionately affecting communities that are already disproportionately affected by everyone else and in some ways it kind of feels like white people were like oh it's not affecting us okay so reopen the economy and it's like but there are places where where almost half the deaths are black people right. i don't know if the statistic holds up still but as of like a week ago i think it was and, and you know you say it was quote unquote only 12 deaths but 100 percent of the deaths from coronavirus in st louis were black people so I learned something cases and probably more than that now. But at the time there, there were all these people, there were all these cases and that is, and, and compared to a place like New York or to compare to someplace like, like Chicago or, or if uh, it even like Georgia, you know, there, there aren't, there weren't as many cases, but it's like, but 100% per- of the people who died were black. Like that's a problem. And yes, it's a relatively low number, but those 12 people was somebody's there, there was somebody's auntie there was somebody's uncle there was somebody's mom somebody's dad somebody's child that died and like you know we we just I, just the level of callousness that a lot of people are displaying right now it's just it's just really like I just don't even I don't even know how to how to fathom it that it's just kind of like okay well you know it's only it's only you know those people it's only the, the elderly and the sick that are dying and it's like yo but those people like they like they belong to somebody. Like like you, know, they they that's somebody that's somebody's mama. You talking about that's somebody's that's somebody's grandma. You talking about? I mean, you know that's that's somebody's naughty yeah. that that's out here that that's out here sick. And y'all just like okay, well, it doesn't matter. Let's do capitalism.
1: Yeah, I, and I mean. All of that. Right. Because it's then I it for me, I'm like, even now, as is is as you're talking, I mean, there's, you know, several things that pop up on my notifications about, you know, news saying that, you know, all this disinformation. The New York Times is reporting that, you know, China or different hackers helped, you know, folks, you know, so, you know, different rumors. And like you said, conspiracy theories, you know, to the U.S. as you know, at the you know, in early February and whatnot, you know, just to help spread it. So it's like you've got these things compound Pounded upon compounds, which is always interesting to me to to think about. Okay, the future, and I know no one knows the future. At least you know, no no human knows the future. But um, it's interesting just to just just to see those things, right? The celebrityism, you know, of Trump. You know, you've got the economy that we treat like a damn human being. Um, You've like you said, like you know, let's go do capitalism. You know, it's like even and somebody said this the other day. They were like, you know. The reality of it is, is that, you know, these folks talking about going back to work, these aren't the CEOs. These are not these are like, you know, we're talking about low wage workers. You know, you can rest mm-hmm. assured that people who have the money will still be in their condos or their yachts still sheltered in place and stuff. And so we're also seeing just the, the cracks, the major cracks, not even the cracks, just the damn fault lines that exist in the in our healthcare system. And who can who has access to that how they get treated all those implicit biases that that come out i'm just like wow man this is this is some crazy shit that's that that it, it is
0: it is it is something you i saw something assigned uh yesterday that said something like work over welfare so <laughs> white supremacy has convinced poor white people that it is that it is more noble that it makes them a better person and even like christians spout this nonsense that it makes them a better person to go and work at a job that is dangerous for a ceo who really really actually doesn't give a damn about you and because that's more noble than receiving assistance from the government like the level of pride, the level of, of hubris that's in that. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, people look at like, oh, but you know, they want their pride, they want their pride in 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 a good hard day's work. But that whole American dream of working your of working yourself to the bone for capitalism, for some fleeting thing of you might become a millionaire someday, or you might have this or that someday, like that is oppressive. And I think I can't say black people as a whole because we have you know we black folks. I mean we have black capitalists. We have black people that are like, well, if y'all just work, you know, you you grind the 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 grind and hustle folks that like, well, you know, I'm out here grinding still in the virus. Like it's like whatever, hush, Right. Negro please. But <laughs> like we 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 we, def- we definitely have that. We definitely have that. But I think that that just as a as a collective, we have done this. <laughs> black people have done this. We have we have been worked to to death literally in our in our history and we've seen it not really get us anywhere so I so I think that a lot of us are hesitant to jump back into the system because the system wasn't benefiting us because we can because we clearly see that the system of capitalism doesn't benefit us we clearly see that yes I can work 80 hours a week and can get all this over time as much as the CEO but whiteness has convinced a lot of these white people that all they have to do is just is just keep working hard and whatever and so to take to take welfare to take to take assistance from somebody that is something I I think that honestly for a lot of them they don't want to do it because it would it would make them it would put them in the same category as a lot of the marginalized people that they that they make fun of. So to take well um. I mean at the end of the day, we have white people I see it a lot where white folks will judge and a lot of times they're judging us they're judging black and brown folks um, but they even judge one another over well you know the person is in the welfare line or they or they're in the the line at Walmart and they're and they're buying all this stuff with their EBT card and and they have an iPhone and they're getting steak and they're getting this and that with their EBT card. And here I am working hard and I don't get anything and I don't get the same, but I'm working hard. And like there's this whole, there's this whole kind of backward thinking about the people who receive assistance. And there's this kind of, there's just this myth. There's these, there's a lot of these myths um, about, about SNAP, about TANF, about, about the programs and stuff that people, that people, um, Use to be able to to get food and to be able to get things, and it's like, and, and so there's just there's this value that's that's placed on work and on working hard and on working with your hands and on all this other type of stuff. That I'm not saying that there's anything that there's anything wrong with inherently, but what it ends up coming down to is that whenever then you are not you value that work over the lives of other people for a system that doesn't care about you, like that's like that's really a problem. So you're willing to put your so so you're you're willing to put your life in danger. You're willing to put other people's lives in danger just so you can get money that you said that you earned. (laughs) Right. Like like just like like just so you can get money that you that rather than just saying, okay, well you know what? Like I'm just gonna sit at home and yeah, like I like I understand you want to feel like you work for something. But I just like it's something it's it's a it's a it's something that I just it's something that I have trouble understanding because I'm like thankfully my husband works from home he he works in an industry that um he, he's a software developer um so he right now i mean he's working for the, the companies and stuff that he's working for um they're they're essential companies like they're they're, they're different they're different companies and stuff that that, that, are, that are essential to the operation of this nation in many yeah. ways and yeah. so we've been very fortunate we've just been, we've been incredibly fortunate that that so far um, his work hasn't, his work hasn't slowed down. He's been able to work from home. Nothing has really changed for us in, in that respect. So I say that speaking from an incredible amount of privilege, but I'm like, you know, I, I, I guess that I struggle, even though I recognize my privilege, I struggle to say like, why, why can't you just stay at home and receive money? And why can't the government just give everybody enough money to be able to live until this thing is over? Like, to, to, like, do we really, if we give everybody enough money to live, if we make sure that everybody is able to live and that everybody has food, there's so much food waste in this nation. I mean, we have enough food. We shouldn't be, there are people, there are so many people going hungry, but there are farmers that are that are destroying like milk, that are destroying produce because they can't sell it like that's a problem that's a, that's something that's wrong with the system and i'm like we should be able to feed every single person in this nation something and every single person in this nation should be able to have money for something and it just it just shouldn't be that hard but we have people that are just insistent on that they have to work and i just don't and i just don't get it i just don't understand i just i just don't understand it
1: well i mean i love that you brought that up because i think so much of this you know ties into some of the myths of in in the narratives right that have streamed along the, you know this american imagination right i mean i think that part of it is is that you know we have there there is very little sense of the collective in the united states um and this came up in one of my classes, we were talking about uh, well, we, this conversation started with AI um, in China, and this was early in the semester, this was like January um, and talked about, you know, just some of the lockdowns. And of course, you know, I had a couple of white students who were just like, well, the only reason that works there is cause that's, you know, it's a communist nation and you know, that, that wouldn't ever work here and this and this and that. And so like, you know, it spawned this whole conversation about, you know, what, what are the liberties and things that we take, uh, you know, to heart. And I just, I think about just, again, some of the social constructs, right. About work, what we think of as work, earning your keep. Um, and even you saying, right. It's like, you know, can't the government just give us money. I can imagine somebody listening to that and being like, well, what do you mean? Can't they just give us money? Right. It's like, wait a minute. Um, didn't we create the economy? The economy is not scientific. I mean, yeah, in some, certain ways, numbers and whatever, but that that's not a natural phenomenon in, in the cosmos. The economy didn't come from some supernova. It's like we created that. That was something that humans have created. And we're seeing right. A lot of these things are um, just that it's like, well, April 15th, that's the tax deadline. No, it's not. It can be moved. It can be, it can change. Right. <laughs> it's No, it's not. You know, it's like, oh, well, you know, you, you, you have to, um, you know, it's like, you know, you, you can't, you can't got You got to go to the store. It's like, well, no, you're not. So like, we can just, we can do a lot of this stuff from home. So my goodness, it's, it's very interesting just to see some of those things play out. Um, I don't, man. I know time is nigh, and I could, I could have these conversations with you all day. But this, this, how have? Let me ask you this. And as as we're as, as we're wrapping up, how have you negotiated some of the stuff just in in, or how have you wrestled with some of the stuff just in seminary? And um, I don't know which one you're going to, but either way, it's like how have you dealt with and and looked at some of these things, um, you know, with you know, just different feedback, right? I mean, I I, yeah, I went to seminary and just. Uh, granted, it was a different time, but nevertheless, there's always somebody in the back who just you know knows more than the professor, knows more than everybody else, and oftentimes those notions are built off of again social construct. This is what grandma said. This is what I've grown up to believe. These worldviews, um, and that dissonance is oftentimes very difficult to right to 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 be undone. So. What, what, what does that look like? And then just, you know, just applicationally, pragmatically for you day to day, what does Christianity and theology and God look like in this pandemic Trump era? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's, a, it's a whole thing, definitely. So I am doing my seminary education online. I'll actually have my whole entire uh, Master of Divinity have achieved that. On, with online classes, and so being in the online construct um, is, it, being in the online environment is definitely a little bit different than being in seated, in seated classes. There's a lot that I like about it. There's a lot that's different uh, about that, even just, I think pedagogically. It's just, there's just so much that's, that's different about it, and so being in that. That 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 environment where a lot of our interaction with our classmates is through forum posts, and so it's much different. Reading forum posts is a, little, is a lot different than a class discussion yeah. um, because because when I, as you're as you're reading forum posts and stuff, you definitely you get to you get to kind of parse things out, and you get to kind of you know, think about it a little bit more, a little bit critically, and a little bit more reflectively. I think because in a, in a seated class, you kind of are just going off of what you hear, and so you might not hear everything and you might not hear or you might not hear every you don't hear every single word or you hear every single word but you don't necessarily internalize every single word in every single meeting or something like that but but in an online class you're typing it's there your words are there and it's enshrined and inscribed for everybody to see so your ignorance (laughs) is so so like so like in an online class if you're going to say something ignorant you can't easily walk it back because it's right there like yeah. it wasn't like, "Oh, well, but I meant this, or, well, I should have said like you said it. it was it was right there. Like you took the time to type it. Like you took the time to type a two hundred word thing. So like, you should be able to clarify what she said, right? And so just being <laughs> in that in that context, and really, it's allowed me, I- I'm thankful because it's allowed me to be able to really be reflective about um about what is said. in in our course materials is and what is said in class and I'll I'll admit I'm not the best online student in the world I don't sit and read every single forum post sometimes I don't read every single (laughs) forum post because sometimes the top because sometimes the topic is something that's like you know what I don't want to know what these white people think (laughs) like honestly (laughs) like like, honestly because I've been in a few I've been in a few classes that are kind of you know race and diversity and that type of stuff classes where it's like uh, I don't know I don't know if I want to see somebody say something ignorant because I don't like I like I got I don't have time for and I've been in context where people have just have said stuff that I'm like that is that not... like all right but she just that was the really ignorant um you know but, but of course you have to be kind so I don't say those things so I'm just like I'm just not gonna respond to that because I can't respond to it and and be a Christian at the same time. So I'm not gonna respond. Um, so I don't have the option <laughs> I have the option to not respond to it. But not but really like being able to to navigate and think about what is being said and what is being presented um because the the seminary that i go to is very 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 white they they are trying to be diverse god bless them they're they're trying to hire diverse faculties you know some of the students some of the black students even you know at, at my institution have have protested we've had different protests have had different things going on because there's just there's there's a lot that the institution says that it is and says that it wants to be but isn't really uh doing in the way that they that they need to be be doing but they are definitely you know, taking some steps. and um, it, it's kind of been a, it's been a little bit of a mixed experience because I've, I've gotten exposed to a lot of things, a lot of uh, different types of thought than I maybe would have um, had I not had I not pursued a degree. Or had I pursued a degree, perhaps at at, at another institution, I uh, I I think that I've been exposed to a lot of different thought and a lot of whatever. But then at the same time, still having to deal with white supremacy. And I think about you know dealing with white supremacy just in Christianity in in general here in America. I think that there is a lot that there's there's a lot of it that is just shrouded in white supremacy. And I think that that's even true, even in, in the black church, um, you know I, I mentioned you know growing up in the black church and, and i look back and i and i see where you know we definitely authentically black definitely whatever but i think that seeing the the effects of white supremacy and seeing how white supremacy um affects uh, uh different churches and stuff and actually you know i just had a conversation with one of my professors last night about uh, a particular denomination where you know there's there a particular black denomination where there's a lot of kind of anti-intellectualism or kind of of a lot of not, you know, not wanting to kind of question the church authority and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, for me, like really recognizing how that is a function of white supremacy even in a, in a denomination where every single leader every single person is is black how we can enact white supremacy with one another so there's really not anything but i don't know if there's really any place in america that is totally free of white supremacy yeah and so you know as a christian trying to so then you're trying to 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 live out principles trying to live out principles of anti-racism in my own faith and in my and in my own um worship context you know that's something that is that's challenging, you know, it's challenging. And I, and I think that, that, you know, as I was saying earlier about seminary, is that having, having a seminary education and kind of learning some of these critical thinking skills have then allowed me to kind of be able to bring that into my, my faith. And I say that, I, I say that, you know, because I, I, But I think that that I want to make a distinction. I think that a lot of people bring critical thinking into their faith and they deconstruct. I understand a lot of people's need to deconstruct. Like I I get that a lot of, uh, you know, I I have a lot of friends who um, came up in predominantly white church contexts or have their, their faith- formed in a very significant way by white institutions that then whenever you know Donald Trump Ferguson all this stuff happens that is kind of have, has left them shipwrecked and they kind mm-hmm. of realize that that their faith wasn't built on what they thought it was and so they've had to kind of sit and deconstruct and kind of had to try to figure things out and had to decide whether they they are or aren't Christian or whatever my and, and so they've had to bring critical thinking to the table kind of because of that kind of as a, as a way to, to reckon with that um, my journey is has been very different than that. And so whenever I say, you know, bringing critical thinking for me, it's not for me, you know, there, there are certain things that, that I just, that, 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 that I believe that I know that is like, I don't, I don't need that. I, that I'm assured of in myself, though. I also respect that other people have, have reached different conclusions than me, but, you know, it's like, I believe in a God that, that is supernatural and that works miracles and mm. that has, has the power. I, I, I believe now probably more than ever in a lot of ways that that god is that that he is that he is all powerful that he's all wise he's all knowing and i say that but i say that from a place of faith because rationally there are things that i see that don't match up with my reality but i know that but i know that god is good and Hmm. and i can't i like for me i understand that there are a lot of people that of God but for me it's like ultimately I just I see that God is good and it's not it's not God that's messed up it's all these other people who who who've just completely just just have effed up what God has done have just completely just 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 shat on everything that 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 God has tried to that that's sin like that's what sin is is we take is we take the goodness that God gives us and we just say you know what bump that like I don't like I don't want that I want to go I want to go my own my own way and that's just and so you know, I could I could preach I could whatever about it but I just but I realize that even as I bring as I as I evaluate my faith in a in a critical way and realize you know what there are things that I don't understand you know I don't I, I don't have a theological answer for why bad things happen to good people. Like, I just don't feel like I, I I cannot answer that question to anybody's satisfaction. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't, I can't answer some of you know, the hard kind of clobber things to, to anybody's satisfaction. But I, but it's something that I know, I just, I, I know within myself that, that I, that, that, you know, I, I've come this far by faith and God, God hasn't failed me yet. Like he, he had like, like that old song, you. Know, he hasn't failed me yet. We've come this far by faith, trusting in the Lord, leading on the Lord, whichever, whichever lyric that you sing and trusting in his holy word. He hasn't failed me yet. And God hasn't failed me yet. It's been a whole lot of people that have failed me. It's been a whole lot of people <laughs> who, who claim to know him, who claim to speak with his authority, who have failed me. But whenever I, but whenever I turn my eyes on Jesus, I see that Jesus hasn't ever failed me. He hasn't ever, he hasn't ever turned his back on me. He hasn't ever said, you're too black. You're too, you're too smart. You're too much of a woman. You don't have enough. This, you don't have enough that Mm. God, God has never, God has never done that to me. Mm. That's that whenever it's been the voice of God, I haven't I haven't had those those experiences but I know that some people feel like they've experienced the voice of God that has told them those things and I don't know how to account for that. Um and I can't argue with other people's experiences but my own experience tells me that God that God is real. And so whenever I'm dealing with these with racism and seeing all the bad stuff in the world I realize I think that that the that the error that a lot of people stumble into a lot of of, I think that every kind of group of people has their error and I think that that you know mainline Protestant people you know I'm, I'm an Episcopalian and uh I think that that a lot of times in mainline Protestantism we try to solve in our own strength what can only be solved supernaturally And I think that people who are on the more evangelical side of things sit and like wait for God to solve things and wait for God to do something when they actually need to do, like, like, it's like, you need to actually get off your behind to do something. Yeah. And so it's sort of like that episode of SpongeBob where they're, where they're relying on the magic conch and like, oh, well, the magic conch says to so like, whatever. And so, it's, I mean, and they, and the conch, I guess it does provide for them, but it's not really the conch. It's like all these coincidences that happen that make it look like it was the conch. And so sometimes I think that, that like evangelicals treat God like the magic conch and it's like, oh, okay, well, we're we're just gonna do nothing right and wait for something to happen. And like that's just not that's just not how it goes either. We can like at the end of the day, it's God who affects change but we have to be agents of change. And that doesn't, and that's not denying that God is powerful. That's not trying oh, to no, do anything. Right. It's just, it's, it's partnership. Like that's right. like, I just, I really feel like that that's what, you know, that that's what God wanted in the beginning. That's what he wanted in the garden of, of Eden. So he was, He wanted partnership with Adam. He wanted partnership with Eve. He wasn't out here like he, I mean, he was God, but like he wasn't out here like, oh, hey, you know, okay, I got to close the garden up. I got to do all this other stuff. I mean, it was it was them that like, that like messed some of this stuff up um to where God was like ooh y'all like like ooh, y'all got too much power Mm-mm. like we can't we we're, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to fix this a little bit we're, we're gonna have to we gonna have to navigate some things and anyway you know I, and I say all that just just to say that like I come I, I you know I come to the conclusion that that my faith is something that is really really important and I recognize that I cannot fight this fight of of tearing down these systems of, of pushing back against oppression. I cannot do that without God. And so the the knowledge is, is divine knowledge is is knowledge is 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 a divine ability and not saying that I'm that I'm God but saying that God has given me the ability to be able to discern to, to be able to 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 read and to understand and to analyze and to break things down and to and to build things back up. But but like I recognize that I can't do that on My own strength. That that there that I uh, there there are times in my in my own work that I felt that I felt tired. That I've said, you know, I can't I can't write anything. I don't have anything to say. And I've typed, and the words have come. There have been times whenever I've been scheduled to preach, and I've been scheduled to preach a message about justice, and I don't know what I'm gonna say. I don't know what passage I'm gonna use, and the Holy spirit will breathe something to me. And I'm like, well, okay, I don't see how this is going to go. And then it, and then it goes. And so, mm. you know, it's so, so walking with the Lord, I try, I try to walk closely with the Lord. And so just the the way that this all kind of, kind of works for me is it's, is I realized like, like, I can't, I can't do it because whenever Allie tries to do it, whenever Allie tries to do it in her own power and in her own strength, I end up, I end up, Tired and frustrated and and mad and angry and whatever. but whenever Ali tries to do it and and allowing God to have his way, I, I still end up tired. I still end up frustrated. There are times that i that I'm still mad, but the difference is is that I have peace,
1: wow, 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 wow. ali, this is this has been amazing. i I've th- thoroughly been blessed. I appreciate you taking the time to come out and break some things down. This is, this is great. And like I said, I think for, at least for me, this is just a start. I'd love to get you back on at another point as well, but thank you so much uh, for taking yeah, the time Yeah. I would love out. to
0: come on again. Thank you. Yeah. Thank
1: you. No, this is, this is, this is great. I mean, cause it's like, I don't know. I, I again, as it's, it's and not just in isolation and you know, what we're doing with social distancing, but in general, I think for me, I'll speak for myself. I mean, being black, being an educator, I know a lot of great people, and unfortunately, my therapist told me this a long time ago. They said, you know, you know, in the academy, there's two things. One, you're going to move for the job, which I was at the time, I was like, nah, nah, I ain't going to move. I ain't never leaving L.A., man. Well, here I am <laughs> in Chicago, so I've moved twice. I went to Twin Cities, and now I'm here in Chicago, so I'm like, all right. And he said, then, you know, the other th- the other part is, is that, you know, a large part of your community— comes in conferences and, you know, lecture circuits and everything. I was like, nah, nah. And sure enough, it's just like, all right, man. So I appreciate just connecting and, and talking about these things, you know, just the black person to black person. Because it's like sometimes, yeah, yeah, you know, you see these things and at least for me, again, I'll speak for myself. It's like, did I really see that? Is it really me? Maybe mm-hmm. it's just me, man. I'm just bringing this stuff up too much. And maybe I really should just stop talking about racism and it would just go away. Right. It's like, you know, crazy things mm-hmm. like that. Yes. So thank you Mm -hmm. for just making it, making it paired apparel, apparent, excuse me. Um, Where can folks find you and, you know, bring you out now that you're, uh, you know, got the graduate degree and they want to come, you know, pay you a nice six figure salary to come and and be their digital pastor (laughs) and the whole nine.
0: Lord help, Lord help (laughs) from from your lips to God's ears. So the, the, one of the main places that you'll be able to kind of connect to stuff to be able to find me is AllieHenny.com. It's just my name. A L L Y H E. -E 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 nny.com, and so on my website you'll find there's a contact form that you can that you can contact me. Um, I try to get back to those contacts pretty quickly, but that doesn't always, that doesn't always happen. Sometimes it takes me a little bit to, to respond. Um, then there's also a link to my blog on my website. My blog is called, uh, the armchair commentary, and you can also see mm-hmm. the armchair commentary at the armchaircommentary.com and, um, dot com also has a lot of my social media feeds. And so on, uh, Twitter, I am at the which is short for the armchair commentary armchair commentary apparently is too many words is is too many characters for a twitter handle um so it's at the armchair com and then i also have a uh, public figure page on facebook that's once again just my name and then i'm on instagram and once again it's just my name and um you there's the ability to support me on patreon uh, paypal cash app all that so after you've donated to profane faith if you have a little bit left over (laughs) you can you can uh donate uh you can you can become for 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 as little as two dollars a month um you can you can become a a patron and and everything um um, I've had this tree this month uh, just because of because of COVID and I'm, and I'm really trying to kind of figure out uh, what I want to do for the for the month of, of May because I want to be sensitive you know to people and their financial position in in all this but for you know, if you have two dollars and uh, you know your your self care Starbucks whatever that, that maybe you don't have that for for a month or something um, yeah, I would certainly appreciate it and all of those things PayPal Venmo Patreon Cash App they're all my name and just the the appropriate tags or or what have you and you can you can find me on those places and then i guess i also have my own podcast uh called combing the roots okay um you can find that Basically wherever podcasts are, it's on Spotify and Google and Apple. And I think that there are a few other feeds that pick it up. Um, I was in the middle of production for that. I actually, I'm surprised I haven't gotten an angry call from my producers yet um, because I actually haven't recorded, I'm like way behind on episodes. I think I've, I should have had two more episodes out, but because of the virus, I haven't, I haven't yep. done any of that. So I'm a little bit behind on my, on my production, but hopefully here in the next couple of weeks, we'll be getting um, some more content the roots but you can listen to me there and so this I I'm, I'm, I'm out here I'm in a, in a lot of different places so yeah
1: I love it I love it I love it and just I mean uh some of the titles and just uh, the in the um, uh, the armchair commentary is like no Donald Trump isn't under demonic attack white evangelicals just racist as hell Pete Buttigieg, <laughs> Donald Trump and the privilege of inexperienced. This is privilege, and this is a picture that says privilege is when you think something is not a problem because you aren't personally affected by it or affected personally. Um, yeah, so I highly recommend folks going and checking this out. I mean, again, I get those requests all the time. It's like, who's out there? Here's somebody who's out there going to support and read their stuff. I will, in fact, I will put all this in this course in the show notes for those of you listening right now. If you're in a car somewhere listening to podcasts, you know, Check it out. Well, not if you're driving, um, but if you're in the passenger seat, you know, go on and subscribe uh, to these uh, amazing works that folks like Allie that you're doing. So, thank you so much for uh, for sharing and and coming on. But you know, we'll, we'll we'll get we'll get you back.
0: Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it.